1: 100. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition So it ain't nothing to you Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend The King of these for Angelo Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man J.A.M. 500, talking the 500 until the end.
0: I dare any of you to put this record on and not call your Coke dealer and go on a three day bender. The song is Golden Years. It's by David Bowie from a 76 record, Station to Station. It's also number 324 out of 500 on the 500 with me. With me. What's up? How's everybody? Good week? Dude, it's Bowie week. It's fucking Bowie. It's it's if you're from Philly. Fucking David Bowie. You guys like fucking David Bowie? You see the movie Dune? Fucking Dane. All right, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Join the Patreon if you want to. Nobody is. Ladies and gentlemen, I have so much cool shit going on. April 3rd, I will be uh, at the Comedy Store doing the goddamn Comedy Jam uh, for the 50th anniversary with Bobby Lee and Maj Jabrani and Jeff Ross. And then April 9th, I'll be doing a goddamn Comedy Jam in Connecticut at the wall street theater that you can stream from your home wallstreettheater.com. That's April 9th, uh, April 18th. I will be at the Nashville comedy festival doing shows and doing the goddamn comedy jam with big J and kid rock. Oh yeah. Did I say kid rock? And then April 20th through the 24th, I will be at the moon tower comedy festival. And, uh, and then in may bunch of cool shit, uh, Netflix festival, I'll be in Minnesota, at the House of Comedy. and then in June I'll be at the DC Improv and I'll be doing a jam at 9:30 club, which is a big deal for me. So come on. Oh, subscribe to my, my my TikTok and my I'm trying to build a fucking following through clips. I'm posting a lot of clips right now uh, from like crowd work, small short jokes. Uh, you guys are supporting him to everybody that's like liking him and sharing them. Thank you guys so much, man. It's it's this. I, listen, man, this podcast brings me no money, so we need to get the money on the road up. So either do one of two things: share my social media at Josh Adam Myers or subscribe to the Patreon. Which I see nothing. I don't. I don't get one bit of the Patreon money. It goes to all the other people that work on the show. I haven't gotten paid from the show in months. And uh, and that's why we're promoting on Broken Record, because hopefully those people will come over here and listen to Scoodle. So, back to what's fun. David Bowie. I didn't mean event like that, but, you know, Peter's probably going to cut it out because that's what he does. But you know, Or it's Adam. I don't know who's editing this anymore. If it wasn't for Emily, let's just be honest here, people. If it was not for Emily, and look, I, I'm not trying to say I don't like doing the show. I love sitting down to record this show. It's just tough to go from making... So much money with Spotify, with Dark Lord Spotify, and then making nothing. And then be like, fuck yeah, dude, dive in and research this Jackson Brown record for 10 days. So that's my frustration. I'm still doing it. I'm still going to keep doing it because, you know, I told Angelo I would. And that's literally the only reason that's keeping me here. Um, And then some of you guys, some of you guys are fucking awesome. Notorious RGA, I love you maria hernandez fletch three mike the dude that wants to wear my skin yeah dude i love you guys all right so this was a biggie david bowie our first one on the podcast um i don't know i don't know if any of you experienced what i just went through like i i you know love bowie but man, did I just go on a Bowie tear throughout all of his music over the last like two weeks while I was digging on this? And I, you just gotta, you gotta just say this dude is arguably one of the most original musicians that might have ever lived. So what did we do for guest wise? Because we, this was a, this is a, this was an album. This is it's a shorty. It's not a biggie thickie. It's a shorty quickie. Uh, and so who did we get? the lead singer uh, of the band Bush Gavin Rossdale that's who we got now I gotta let you guys know he was in Australia in a hotel room his internet probably was not good at all it was very choppy it it did not go as planned which is a bummer um, not his fault not our fault. You know, it's just the fact that he was in Australia. We were supposed to do it before he left for Australia, and then shit got fucked up. And so here we are in this situation. And hopefully the editor put this together to make it a great interview because Gavin is a great dude, man. We we were joking around right at the beginning. We started and stopped the podcast like five times at the beginning. Mine cut out, his cut out, this cut out. Which is the gold scenario. Young Americans, young Americans. We are the younger uh, the hotel Podcasters. All right. Uh, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500 and listen free on all platforms. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and go to joshadammyers.com for all tickets. Email the podcast at 500 at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Evan, who's crazy. And for all things 500, go to the website that I can't stand, the 500podcast.com. Well, not left to say, but. Here we go with number three
1: twenty-four out of five-hundred Station, dude, station by David Bowie This
0: is Gavin Rossdale on my podcast, we're talking David Bowie, and I hope I don't say something stupid to make me look dumb, tell the rest of the band Bush I fucking love them. Gavin Rossdale and Josh are the newest best friends in the whole damn world, do you love me Mr. Gavin? do you love me cuz i'm trying to impress you
3: how's that you're a very you're a very attractive man but it's not love yet but i do like you
0: dude can i ask you a question you what 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 is it like being honest to god one of the most beautiful men in the fucking world for definitely out of the grunge scene definitely 100% out of the grunge scene i put you up against anybody
3: what is, what is that like um. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I, I'm thrilled to be in Adelaide. <laughs> um, I'm thrilled to be in Adelaide.
0: First thing is this, because I, I want to get to the Easter eggs that I've that I've found in some of your music that is influenced by Bowie. Did you grow up in a musical household? Like, what was your musical childhood experience like?
3: Well, um, you know, like, my parents, when they were together, they they, they broke up when I was uh, 12. Um, I lived with my dad after that, but um, they, you know, they had, there was a the typical kind of small house, regular people. She had like, my mom had like Roberta Flack, one record of hers, Queen and um, Carole King, Tapestry. You know, it nice. wasn't that many records. It wasn't a big thing, but what was incredible was the two things. One, I lived, my house the closest shop to my house up the street was um, a record store. Nice. So it's very much like that Malcolm Gladwell, that 10,000 hours thing. On the, but the Malcolm Gladwell thing, like you surround yourself, you know, it's only that proximity to music that kind of allowed me to spend all my pocket money on records. Yeah. And my aunt lived with us when I was young. And she was amazing fun. Out all night coming in, you know, she had a... a just was like a real wild spirit she lived at our house because she was too wild to have a regular life and she gave me the uh, uh the man who fell uh, the Bowie the um Ziggy Stardust okay life and times of Ziggy Stardust and that changed my life because where I grew up was kind of pretty rough and everyone was into like uh you know, um, they would wear like, I don't know if you know what Farrah slacks are, Gabichie tops. they were like poor people trying to, they would dress rich. Yeah. They I still wear that. Rich Farrah, right football, football, football hooligans, you know? Like, yeah. Asbos. Antisocial behavioral kids, right? So everyone loved. And so weirdly, I'm doing this thing, this podcast, because, for instance, a big song there was Patrice Russian when we were growing up. She had the song, Send Me, Forget Me Not. So it used to be this like disco song. I know that. And I was on a phone call the other day because uh, I was using his phone doing press, and Patrice Russian sent him a text. He, he's a tour manager for a bunch of people. Yeah, Patrice Russian sent him a text. I was like, "Oh my god, Patrice Russian! I knew her when I was like, like eight years old. She's so cool, you know." Yeah. send me, get me. Anyway, and um, but I didn't really like that music so much. I would like, so I've always been like a bit of an art job because I grew up playing football and you know hanging out in the streets with all my friends and all that kind of nonsense that you do sitting around. The states and stuff. And, uh, but I would always like, had my secret Bowie world, because they thought that obviously that was not, you know, it was, it was a bit, bit more, bit more taboo, and they didn't really want sort of any feminine esque, outlandish figures, you know, anyone like, you know, if, you, if I said the word amazing, I'd get slapped around the head. Wow. You know, for being too fancy. Yeah, you just get to be like, really like, play it dumb, low key. Yeah. And just, so I'll always, and when we used to go to all the dances and all that, you know, I loved um, all the goth girls the punk girls. I was like, I was a young punk, you know. I was into punk music, and uh, but just loved all uh, playing football and, and, and playing tennis. But but I love so. I've always been an art jock. I'm into that. I'm into painting, food, yeah. art, music, and I love sport. You know, I, love, I like it both. So. You're so in. that was a big. So Bowie, right. Bowie began. Bowie began. Bowie was the stepping stone into everything because, it, you know, I could afford uh, singles each week, and I have all those punk classics. I have all the punk records, all the Sex Pistols, Clash, Revillos, X-Ray Specs, Buzzcocks, Jam, everything yeah. like that. I used to love that all those uh, records, but up the road where I go in there they would be trying to school me and be like check out the doors this is so and so this is bread this is fucking carol king this is the beach boys this is whoever yeah. so it's really you know like an education a free education from strangers who ran the record store and uh, I'm always grateful for that And it's weird because I didn't really make music you know I didn't I was too I didn't think I would ever be able to make music I just sort of loved it and then when I left school I was like fuck which way's the job that way what else is there what else else can i do what else can i do i can't so i just began to write songs and i was talking last night with my guitar player about it over dinner like chris i'm saying like like it's so mental because i had no ability no knowledge no training no nothing just sort of would do anything to avoid a standard regular job or go i didn't go to college you know i just what could i do and i I remember being so arrogant with my dad, I and mean, like recording into a tape weirdly with like tape recorders. Then yeah. it's like sing a song, like it must be like maybe on two notes, some terrible piece of drivel. And then I had a couple of guys who I knew from a school, would be like you know, put some chords to that. We sort of had this, we had this my first band, and um, it was such like youthful arrogance because I just forced my way into it. And you know that's why with me it's a weird journey because I'm sort of always getting better and always learning because I didn't really come at it like a you know, virtuoso kid trained sit in my room for like ten years yeah. until I was unleashed on the world. I sort of was just kinda of grew up trying to get it done, you know, in front of A and R men and in front of people and it's an interesting story, but it's a very uh, flying by the seat of your pants kind of life. You know, it's not. I wouldn't recommend it to any of my kids, and I've got loads of kids. I'd be like, <laughs> do not do it like that. That's the worst idea.
0: So, but so once you got that bug inside you, that you were like, dude, I don't want a regular job. I don't want it because that was me. and My dad, the exact same thing. Like every day, my dad would would read the paper in the morning, have his breakfast, and then he put the paper down and do this sigh of just like. <sighs> knowing that he had to go out into the world to do this job that he didn't want to do but had to support the family. When you watch that, much like you being like, I don't want to have a regular factory job. Like, I want to fucking do something. Um, and then, and for me, it was comedy and music. And obviously for you, it was music and the arts and so on. So so would you say that moment, really, after the record store is kind of schooling you and now you're you, you've been introduced to Ziggy Stardust, like, was... That's the turning point where it's like, this is something I want to do. This is something I have to do.
3: Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't for a few years yet. It okay, was like three or four years because all I did is I got lost in it. All it was was a refuge. And so when people, and I, you know, I'm lucky and I see people everywhere I go. I was in a bar yesterday. I always walk around, check out the neighborhood and I love to go walk and, and check where I'm at. You know? Yeah. So I, got, I end up in this bar. It's like one, one barman and like, some loser at the other end of the bar, you know. What I mean, yeah. three three losers in a bar <laughs> at like one p.m. with <laughs> a hot day. I mean, a cold asahi, and I was just intrigued, you know, about the guy. He started talking about Axel Rose or some bullshit. So I was thinking, I like to test people, you know, if they knew about that. I want to test the promo. How how many people is this reaching? You know what I mean? Like we're on. So I was like, Hey, have you heard? What have you heard about Under the Southern Stars? Because I ah, not too much about that, mate. Yeah, I said, uh, Oh right. Um, cool, because I heard it's on three days here. Because he oh, yeah, I heard something about a festival like that. I said, yeah, I heard of some great bands. You know, I was fucking with him, you know, and he goes, and he goes um, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I haven't heard too much about it. I heard a bit about it, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, not Guns N' Roses, is it? I was like, no, nah, that's some other, but it's STP. Uh, he goes, what are you doing here? You you, go to super festival? I said, I'm working at it. Uh, he goes, oh, cool, cool. Was what, your band? You know, and I was like, oh, I'm in this band. I'm in the band Bush. And so the, the guy at the end of the bar goes, I remember them <laughs> like I said this comes to life. so it was a bit of a laugh but um, <laughs> I uh, 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 it's been a bit of it's 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 been fun to be back on tour because I like all those interactions with strangers with people yeah they don't really get
0: no oh my god that's like talking to people after show is some of the most entertaining shit in the world um,
3: you know with music it, it's like this refuge for people right and mm-hmm. people get lost in it and that's what I did for the first few years. In a way, is even almost better way around. or not? I don't know. There was no other way around. But I got lost to music for a lot longer before I was ready to think I could even make it. I didn't uh, dissect it. I dissected it later. And when I began playing guitar, then I would learn all those Bowie songs because they're really good for busking, you know. Especially the Ziggy Stardust. They work work well on those lovely chords and stuff like that. And so, um, but no, I was I got lost in music, and then I began to make it later on. And, uh, and that it became my life work. Yeah. My life's work.
1: With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain
3: speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you.
0: Like, I mean, I'm going through like, you know, 16 stone. I mean, obviously in everything Zen, you, you, you take a Bowie lyric. How influential was Bowie and has he been on your career?
3: Well, I mean, it's funny, it's funny that because, um, that came out, you know, when I was doing Bush, uh, in, in London, it was like the, the worst commercial idea you could ever have. That was the height of hop Everything was going on with Blur, Oasis, yeah. Suede, um, all those kind of bands, pulp. And we were just like, we were just trying to be pixies. I mean, I was trying to be the pixies. Just was thought they were the most exciting band. I loved that whole four A D label. I like throwing music, the Cocteau Twins, but the Pixies, they had the most beautiful cover, had the flamenco girl on there, it's the gold record, gold cover. And I just couldn't believe this band was just so they were doing rock music that wasn't poison, wasn't like hair rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it went from I like Sex Pistols, Public Image, uh, The The, you know, those are the bands that I really liked. Talking Heads, and, and it's a sort of like anti-establishment, but not, not sort of jam yeah. rock, you know? Some people like, fuck me, Motley Crue, who are the kings of that, and I love Tommy. Uh, Lee and a, 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 he's a friend of mine. I mean, they're now playing stadiums. So people love all that, that stuff. You know, people love that. But I liked the fact that the Pixies were more concerned with
1: hummus. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> and good songs. Uh, the singer from, um, um, um from uh, what you call it, uh, Suede, uh, Brett, And um they, he interviewed him and he was going to, he's going to him. How come he is so good? At song. I was listening to Suede, couldn't understand music that much but everyone was saying the greatest band and i was just just jealous i was just so i was just like fucking hell i can't get a break can't get arrested now this fuck is like and so when i was you know i was doing this heavier sort of this um it wasn't quite that bad but they were my most inspiring band and um so i wrote in there about uh kissy kissing the rear view was because they were sat in the interview in this cab the was telling me how great he was. And I was just jealous, which is a terrible emotion. I'm not even a jealous person, but I just—I was just like annoyed. I never expected anyone to hear it because I was so used to making songs that didn't get past the demo stage. Like I could get demos from any label in London, in England. You know, EMI, CBA, Epic. I just couldn't get signed. I just couldn't get signed. And uh, so much like the Pixies signed in England with 4AD being from Boston, we signed with a small label in the Valley. Um, and I did it the other way around. So I based my career, well, not my career, but it was like, I was empowered by their journey. And I was thinking, well, if it worked for them, why can't the reverse be true for us? Yeah. And so everyone told me not to do the deal. It's brilliant. One, the main person who told me was a friend of mine who succumbed to uh, an overdose. And told so the last thing he told me, well, I was, God say, don't sign a deal to America. Oh, he was fucking wrong, wasn't he? <laughs> it's completely wrong. It was the best thing I ever did. And plus, uh, I had no alternatives. And uh, nothing beats a choice than having nothing else, no options. Yes. You know, that's your choice, you know? Yeah. That's the epitome of a choice. Um, So that's what we did. Um, But yeah, so it's been an interesting journey of transatlantic belief and then like this kind of, yeah, this weird, are just wilder.
0: Yeah. So what was that like then for, you know, you, you sign with this American label, you know, it's it's against the grain of what's popular in, in England at the time because all the bands that you mentioned, I mean, like, I mean, Blur, I would never, it's Britpop and, you know, it's like, so what is that like to suddenly put out this record and and then for it to just become a smash hit? I mean, Dude, I, I, it's one of the biggest records of my high school years. I, it's still one of my favorites. I re listened to yep. it just prepping for this, and I'm like, God damn, dude, it's fucking perfect.
3: Thank you. You're um, welcome. Well, it was weird, you know, after that, um, I went back to work. We, we made the record, and then we lost the distribution deal. <laughs> so I went back to work. I painted 12 dentist offices right after that. Identical. It was like a Kafka nightmare. And um, big in magnolia. Uh, uh, down in the West End of London and um, I didn't really mind because I thought I'd, I just wanted to make a record you know so I was back making 50 bucks a day painting I had made a record and I just felt like that was my own point no one had believed in me and you know when you're young that's what I hated about that fucking biopic that Queen biopic I just thought it was such nonsense he's in the front room Freddie playing Bohemian Rhapsody like and no one's found out how amazing I am yeah. playing Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like, shut up. You like, play something terrible so no one discovers you. Don't play Bohemian Rhapsody like you're Rachmaninoff in Waiting. Like, <laughs> I thought it was so like a made-for-TV movie. It's just annoying because it had no no reality of being terrible. And most of us were just terrible fringes. And Some would argue we still are, but we'd try our best.
0: Yeah. So then what was that like for the record to suddenly take off the way that it did?
3: It was the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. Experience in my life and a sort of uh, not a vindication it wasn't like I gave a you know I just the best thing is that, you know when people don't believe in you and people put you down i had a lot of that in my life the um, the biggest response is not an aggressive confrontation that you wish for in your head like you know sort of do you know what I mean Perspective. the best thing I can do is just be wildly successful is to make a wildly good song that's the biggest fuck you to- anyone, you know what I mean, because and I've been doing it for years, you know we've had like 25 hits on the radio, that's a lot that's a lot, that's a lot I it think, is. I mean, not to brag about but I think about, I go, that's pretty funny, makes me laugh Yeah. some people only have one hit, you know I've written 25, it's kind of that's alright, there's lots of people with lots more than me, but I'm better than a lot of the naysayers, you know 100% so it felt beautiful, it felt really good, and it I was way more depressed to be unsuccessful. And I felt really like it was an effrontery to my own ego of like, God, I can't do better than this. Continually not getting the brakes, continually hitting a brick wall, doors are open. I was like, man. So when that happened, I didn't, it wasn't like I became like completely flash and full of myself. I just felt like finally I don't have a barrier to get into people. I don't have a barrier. Like if I write a song, people can judge. First band had a record out and not an album, um, and I was signed to Epic, like two years into writing songs. So I had a knack for it, and they brought out two singles, and I remember like, like being at home, like, just sitting there with my fingers crossed, going, well, it's out, and if people wanted to hear it, you know, no one ever heard it, and it sank without a trace. But um, when Bush hit, I just always knew that, within reason, if we had something new, people would know about it, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm asking a lot 30 years later, but, uh, um, that's the reality of it that I just felt like, well, at least now I get, you know, there's there's an open window to what we're doing. You know, uh, that's what, that's what made. Yeah. So,
0: so I've re-listened to, like I said, I re-listened to 16 stone and as I was trying to, as I'm listening to station to station, I'm trying to see if I can find somewhat comparisons between certain songs, certain moments. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong like Testosterone, were you listening to a lot of Bowie when you were writing Testosterone? It just, it has a feel of like a Bowie song.
3: I mean, I, i, I well, the reason I like that song, I'm proud of it, is it was sort of a, it was, a you know, clearly, um, it was, you know, it was a metrosexual anthem. You know what I mean? It was a metrosexual anthem. Very. And Harry. Uh, I think, the one thing that Bowie brought um, to us now we take it to granted because you know the world is so fluid we live in such a fluid world where yeah. I mean I have young I have young kids you know um, and it's incredible seeing how um, the lack of homophobia the kind of the the uh, uh, the acceptance of self-expression the fluidity of everyone sexuality it's like you know when we are growing up you know you couldn't you know what I mean? It's like gets a sort of I don't know, you couldn't you just couldn't be as as free, certainly where I grew up, I'm sure where you grew up in New York, you know. You get to be like it was just much more homophobic. And of I, course I, I, to me, writing testosterone was a dismantling of that bullshit, you know. Well, and, and that's what I was really proud of because I thought it was a you know, whenever you have a song that that you you figure and you write it's good to get ideas off your chest. It's all just ideas you get off your chest and you kind of like, they belong to the world after that. And then to be in a successful band that's like shunning toxic masculinity in 95, you know, that's cool. You know, I'm like, that's that's a decent thing to do, you know, that's the right way to have a progressive society. Yeah.
0: Um, what is that like though? You know, when you're, cause you were born in in 1965 and, and obviously you said the first record was Ziggy Stardust, which I mean, I'm born in 79, you know what I mean? Like I, I saw, I had the hair metal, you know, androgyny, but I mean, is David Bowie like really the first artist to kind of blend that gap between male and female? And what is that like to, when, when you're in your teens to see somebody doing that?
3: Well I think the seeing on top of the pops when he was like all the extraordinary outfits it just was like I didn't think anything out of it apart from he just seemed like this um, mystical kind of theatrical figure he's like you know he's like Bertolt Brecht you know he just combined theater with it I didn't actually as a kid I was too young too innocent to really take it on on a sexuality level Mm -hmm. it was only later when he spoke about his you know sexuality that, that was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. But I didn't even really know what that meant. You know what I mean? like just meant he was dangerous because, as I say, where I grew up, in, uh, I grew up in North London, and um, it was very, very uh, homophobic. And so you grew up without not even knowing what they really meant. You know, when you're a kid, you don't really know. You don't know about sex. You don't know what they're actually talking about. You just know that guys are men to act as sort of a brutish, thuggish, loud, obnoxious and girls and then it'd be kind of like laid back and demure and subservient you know that's that's how it was that's the hierarchy that I grew up with that's what however one was and then as life does uh, that, that that's been traded off you know last few years obviously it's been incredible um, revolution for women you know long long overdue you know? so um, yeah but so that he just made me think you know and he says but, but not just about the, the sexuality stuff because as I say I was too young for that it was more the sort of um, all that cut up to all those like disparate ideas that's how he influenced me the most because i loved ginsburg growing up and so lyrically i'd always get in trouble when i first began you know when they wanted to kill me and reviews if they didn't just hate me straight up it would be like the lyrics don't make sense this that it's like there's all these pieces and i was like you just, you just don't get it you just don't get it you know because That's what the Burroughs cut-up technique, Bo used that. There's Ginsberg, all that, that's a, um, what's the, um, City Lights store in San Francisco, where they published all the beat poets. You know, the beat poets were almost like the precursors, I mean, grunge, it's funny you said that word, grunge. Seattle Sound. That that, that thing of disenfranchised, it's the disenfranchised feelings, it's the sort of, you know, so, I don't know, I just always related to that. You know, I grew up in an environment where I had to listen to Bowie in private also, I'd get beaten up for like, you know, yeah. I get a, I lived in an environment where take carrying a tennis racket to the bus to go play tennis racket at the local club because I fell in love with it off the TV. You'd get slapped on the way to the bus stop, you know, for like having a sort of, a, you know, a, an instrument of wealth and um, step below a violin with a tennis racket. Yeah, like, you know, idiot. You're like you know, sixteen-year-old kids are like eleven years old. Like just getting slapped on the way to the bus because you love your love tennis. You know, it's kind of funny when I think about it now, but uh, I still love it. it. Didn't stop me.
0: Who's your favorite tennis player of all time?
3: Bjorn Borg.
0: Really, you're a Bjorn fan? Okay, all right. I'm yeah. Boris Becker, dude.
3: <laughs> well We're- Just because that was when I was a you know I was a kid and just watched him. Grow up, and in fact, he—he's uh, a pract—he practiced at my club, played at a tennis club called the Cumberland in in England, and uh, they had grass courts. And one time, I saw him warming up, and I saw him—I I saw him in the—I saw him in the locker room. he was the first famous person I ever met, and um, I just remember being—I don't know, like I—I don't know what I was, how old I was. Uh, must have been eight or nine, nine, ten, nine or ten. And I saw him, and I said to him. It was the dumbest fan moment, because I remember seeing him. He's standing there, I think he's naked he had the towel, and he came out of the shower, It's Bjorn Borg, and he's like crazy wide shoulders. I was a kid, I was like, oh, my God. I said to him, good luck, I know you're going to win it. And as I left, I've always been annoyed that I said that. Like, you know, people, his armchair, I've got a feeling about today. It's always annoying when sports fans go, oh, I've got a feeling about this one. I feel good today. It's like, shut up, you're nothing to do with it. You, you know, I'm happy for you, but you're clearly nothing to do with it. Right? <laughs> but so I said it to him, I did my... Worst thing, and I've always regretted it. I've regretted it ever since because, like, it just was like such a like cookie cutter thing to say to him, you know. And I wanted to tell him so much more, but people get tongue tied. People get tongue tied when they meet me, you know, and it's very sweet. And they so many times, people, I-, I don't want to say, I don't want to say. It. I was like, before Corona, you could just hug someone, yeah, you now no. just to have a contact, just like silence the moment
0: now it's like you put your arm up for ten feet fist bump you. i'll fist bump you i know you're i know you're obsessed with my music and i'm the biggest artist of your lifetime but there you go just touch my knuckle
2: You do the same. So, if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.
1: Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupatin. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolf Peck, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more.
2: I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth.
0: Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw.
1: I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So, subscribe to the Show on the Road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. You,
0: if I'm not mistaken, you've—I know you've met Bowie. Did you? Are you open for him too?
3: yeah well i toured twice with him tell us and about then I that. i and i and i became in south america i, I opened for him uh in south america on the stadium tour uh two times um and um and then i became friends with him. you know i mean i don't know I, I i can't claim i don't know the hierarchy of friends i would imagine i, I don't know what division i was <laughs> i was on the email division uh collaborations was spoken about and you know I'd go and see him if I was uh, well I remember going walking from my house in Los Feliz to go see him at the Greek when he played there and so I hung out with him a few times then the last few years um, just emails and in fact I owed him an email I have an email from him I didn't reply to because again I was getting emails from him. it was a bit of a thrill you know chatting about what he's up to this and that asking what I'd been doing and uh, and you know that I had this very deep connection after he passed um, Well, i met mike garson with bowie a few times because i would go see shows i was on tour with mike um in south america with him and although we were an open band you know so sort i of would say hello respectfully and whatever but after he passed i i they had this whole thing where um, a bunch of singers was played with the original bands he had a whole entourage group of all the musicians over the years with Bowie and I played um, I'm Afraid of Americans with that band over two nights at the I think the Wilton and then I did a song with Mike for Music Cares I did a version of Heroes with him, it's on the new record on the Kingdom, on this bonus track there's a me singing Heroes with Mike Garson playing piano and then Mike played on um, this song I have called Undone and he played the piano on that, and we become really, really, really close. I would say close friends. Nice. And um, uh, I'm really grateful for that. I love Mike, and uh, so yeah, my, my Bowie connection is deep. And you know, I knew Iman. Um, I kind of I feel like I haven't spoken to him in a long time. You know, in the divorce fire. I lost. I, swear, I don't know. Haven't I I spoken to, him. but. Um, yeah, Bowie was was amazing, you know, and just so funny and so well read and like just laugh, you know, and just some, as you'd imagine.
0: I could imagine. I mean, everything I everything I know about him is he's like the king of cool, and I mean, my first. I guess real, like taking in a Bowie, I mean, as a kid was, was labyrinth and he was just bigger than life with the hair and the Muppets. And then it's like, you know, i actually, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll say this to you. I'll say this to Adam. I'll say this to all the listeners for until this record, which we're about to talk about station to station. I was, I was a strictly hits Bowie Ziggy Stardust. I had dug into and I had listened to uh, many times, which I loved that record Uh, but when it came to actually listening to a full Bowie record, it just, I'm not going to say it just never made its way in there. I just never took the time to do it. So station to station, having this come up on the list was the first time I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to sit and listen to this record from start to finish by David Bowie. I don't know anything about it yet. Uh, and I remember when it starts and I don't know if you've listened to it, Gavin on headphones and it probably is the same way on speakers as well. It's just like, it fucks with you by going back and forth. There's all those no uh, noises as it drops into the first song. Uh, and I remember I had this moment, which was like, am I about to become a David Bowie fanatic? Is this the moment that changes my life forever? And over the last You know, I think I've been really digging on this for about two, three weeks since we knew this was coming up. And I mean, I've just gone through almost every record. I've listened to a lot of shit all the way through. Um, This is an interesting album. So I'd love because I know your favorite Bowie song, if I have it correctly, is uh, The Man Who Sold the World. Am I right?
3: I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't have any favours, I mean, it's funny because working with Mike, when he asked me to sing recently, and I I wasn't able to do it, I I was not well, um, but he's so fun because he's like, you know, pick a song, you know, when you pick a song, you know, pick one of his songs. Uh, Ironically, when I was going to do the song with him for Music Cares, I said to him, which is on this record, of course, Wild as the Wind, it ends with Wild as the Wind, uh, Nina Simone, uh, Nina Simone's, right, and... uh, I said, have you ever done wild as the wind, like super mellow? When I take people's songs, like I did Mind Games for John Lennon for this tribute record for John Lennon. I like taking classic songs and slowing them down to my, to sort of funereal, yeah. depressing. I just love that and this, singing a classic song slowly. There's nothing like it. I mean, Cat Power has built an entire career off oh, that.
0: For sure, dude. But but but, and, um, but Gavin, but Mind Games which is arguably one of my favorite John Lennon songs. If, I mean, if you take that down, I, I would love to hear that. That's, that's a brilliant song. I would love to hear it at a different tempo. That's fucking powerful.
3: You should do uh, on Spotify. I think it's it's out there. No, I'll check, check it, out. it out. It's pretty. I was on radio in Australia two days ago, Triple J, and uh, the guy goes, I've been checking this jam, and just played two minutes of mind games on the radio it's really pretty anyhow so i was gonna do wild as the wind and then he said because this is the nina simone version that david really liked this is the version that david did live in new york i was like whoa 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 back up back up big guy i think it's been done well have you ever done heroes slowly i was not gonna to touch it after <laughs> nina simone and bowie i was just no, I, no, no <laughs> I, what am i doing now now i'm back to the bullshit kid Bullshit kid say I can do that, yeah, I yeah, bring it. I think what's so brave about this record, not only the beginning, um, and it's his first sort of uh, the, the Berlin trilogy, right, with the in e- pop and uh so it just was so short and different, and it was the beginning of this sort of new period for him. I mean, I find it difficult sometimes to keep up with artists who have lots of records. This is his tenth record, so I wasn't I wasn't old enough at any point. Still not old enough. So no, there's nine records. Left. Like I wasn't a feverish fanatic, but I, I loved him through and through. So, you know, I think it's just a, uh, it was the beginning of a whole new era and there's was that sort of funky kraut rock thing going on and uh, then goes on into, what is it, was Low next? Maybe yeah. Low was the next two records. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a Bowie expert, I just know what I like. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful record, you know? Um,
0: so, so what sticks out uh, from this record to you? Like, what, what are the things that you take away from this?
3: Well, The Wild as the Wind was, just, was, was beautiful. I had a, um, it was really annoying actually, because I had this girl that I was seeing at the time, Sara Laurie. And I got her a Madness song. I, it was cute because Madness was really big where I was living, and really big and we were kids. And I got her the single Must Be Love. I got it from Up the Road, and she gave me Wild as the Wind, but she totally out-sophisticated me like a thousand times. Yeah. I was like, Ah, God, I shouldn't stand this. So I just loved that song. And just I'd never heard anything like. That. And Bo did it over and over for me personally, where he just opened you up to different possibilities. I mean, I, of, you know, like, to hear Wild is the Wind, there's never nothing come before that, that I could put my finger on to be so vulnerable. And, um, you know, there was such a, as I was saying before, there's such sort of a simple black and white line of like masculine, you know, guys didn't weren't soft, Guys were hard, girls were soft, that was it. And so for having a song like Wild as the Wind, it just was like a sensitivity. I I remember being thinking to myself, is he allowed to be that vulnerable? Is he allowed to be that open? You know? Or people are like, oh he's not gonna get slapped. He's not gonna get slapped for that, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I love it, it's beautiful. When I think about it, there's songs that I've written that that's been in the DNA of those songs. Lots of mellow songs I've written. There's one song Surrender, I don't know. From that from that approach to music and that sort of that vulnerability, you know. Yeah. Vulnerability.
0: Well, I mean, I think you can hear your vulnerability in a song like Glycerin, you know? I mean, yeah. dude, that, do you understand how many how many dudes yeah. got were able to like hook up with their girlfriend because they learned that on guitar? You're looking out of me, dude. I fucking, those, those simple chords, you wrote beautiful lyrics. I mean, you, yeah. dude, it's, it's fucking brilliant. So I could definitely see some of the influences from this record, even in some of your music. I wanted to ask you, because this is the main thing that I got. You already mentioned the Berlin stuff that he was doing. So, and you probably do know about this, but for all the listeners out there, during the sessions for Station to Station, Bowie was heavily dependent on drugs, especially cocaine, and recalls almost nothing of the production. He once joked, I know it it was recorded in LA because I read it was. He also added, I have serious problems about that year or two. I can't remember how I felt. I have no emotional geography. And uh, because of that addiction, it severed relationships with some of his fellow musician friends like Keith Moon, John Lennon, and Harry Nielsen. Um, so this is a cocaine record.
3: Knowing. Yeah, the, it was just weird because I, I think Oasis made. The cocaine.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? The one with, you know, the God to pay with the Jen Pinsley. Those my records my. from the 90s from Oasis. This stuff.
3: Well, he was famous. I mean, Noel, Noel was famous for always saying, never went like 40 minutes he never went without having a line and coke. coat but I think it can sound a bit thin because you keep you're so jacked you keep one it's not bright enough it's too dark you know and um, it doesn't sound I mean I guess that Harry or I guess you could say a boy wasn't sharing his coat <laughs> that guy. Not, every, not everybody can I be don't fucked get up. I do cocaine it's it's like cocaine um, I've heard is like you know, you solve the world's problems, you sit with your friends all night, you talk a bunch of shit, and then you feel terrible the next day. And that's about it, you have a laugh. But as far as it doesn't seem like a creative Was Bowie managed to make it creative and make magic out of it. But it's ironic, isn't it? He didn't have any time to be done.
0: Yeah. No, I, I listen. Listen. You, you could. Most people do cocaine and you know get nothing accomplished. He made a fucking brilliant record, and I feel like after me listening to it and finding out about the coke, I, I kind of think the reason Station to Station is over ten minutes long. Uh, you know, I think 100 percent the different movements. Almost, maybe he couldn't decide on one. You know, chord progression, and then he was like, "Oh, this would be good to change it here," and then oh, because that, that's like you're. You know, when you're doing coke and you're listening to music, you're like, "All right, let's put on this song. Let's put on this song." So. Definitely Station to Station gives me Coke vibes. I was with this girl the other night, and I told her that we're about to do this record together, and she's like, this is my favorite record. She was the one that explained to me before I'd read anything that this was the Coke record. She said this album completely is like doing cocaine the way it starts then how it goes into the golden years because the golden years is everything's like oh everything's gonna be great man this is the best ever we're having the best time it can't get better than this and then he brings it down with word on a wing And then you've got the beginning of side two with TVC one five and stay. And it's just, and then even in like in stay, he's talking about lyrically uh, struggling with the monotony of drug addiction and then into, you know, wild is the wind, which is a fucking beautiful song. Um, So I think I, I, I don't, you know, know. 100% 100% if, if he didn't do cocaine, that if this record would have turned out. But I definitely think that it's like, I think it's pretty, you know, it's pretty spot on to be that big in your career. you doing coke and it's just, you know, no, you have to have the studio. Do whatever the fuck you want to do. Um So, also, I mean, the, the musicians
3: are incredible. I mean, 100%. You know, Carlos Alamar and the band. And I don't think the band... I'm, I'm, I mean, the band held their shit together no matter what,
0: you know. No, they were yeah. dialed in. It wasn't. It wasn't him alone
3: in the studio. You know what I mean?
0: No, they were. They were. No, yeah, the, really- Dude, the band completely dialed in. Um, what do you think about the character that he created, the thin white man? Like, what do you?
3: You know, another one of his characters. I love Ziggy Stardust, and I, I, my best friend in London is a Bowie freak. So he probably knows he knows a lot more than I do about Bowie, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just was a new character and like it's super stylish and a different look and a bit more uh, that kind of I don't know Anthony Price suits and all the kind of look and. So I mean, it just was a new character. It's, I like the sound of it, Thin White Duke.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is one of our Patreon questions uh, from Justin Nemec. So, like we said, that this is the debut of Thin White Duke. What is your favorite of his many personalities or eras? The, so we got The Folk Singer, Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, The Plastic <laughs> Soul, Young Americans era, collaborating with Trent Reznor. Uh, which one uh, Which one is your favorite? I mean,
3: I, Ziggy Stardust was something extraordinary to me. And, you know, it has such memories for me because it was when I first... Found out about him and it was really precious because my loved my aunt so much that for her to give me that cultural kind of weapon was just was just amazing and so my love for him is in tandem with my love for her. So it's sure. very deep for me.
2: This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a podcast. A songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and -and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris makes a podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts and new episodes come out every Monday.
3: So I liked everything he did, really. there's nothing. I even, you know, maybe labyrinth was my, not, not my favorite bit, one you got into, but, um, Oh, movie industry is so out oh, there, so weird. Um, but I really loved that. I loved that Earthen record. Um, I thought that drum and bass record was phenomenal, it was so brilliant. Um, but basically, stuff that he did, you know, he, he just had a way about him. And that last, you know, it's ending on, on, on the Black Star, that last record released on the Friday, birthday on the weekend, died on the Monday. It's just like, that Black Star song is just unbelievable. It was really funny actually, <laughs> because when I did when I did the show for the Bowie event with his band, uh, I chose Young. I'm afraid of Americans. They gave me a, a range of stuff to choose from. I chose I'm afraid of Americans, right? And uh, it was really good because the band was fucking great. There's so many versions of it. I had to be super type A and I felt really awkward about it, but I wrote the arrangement out and gave it to each band member because I didn't want to fuck up on the night. I was like in the rehearsal. It was going, everyone's playing different versions. Oh, this is from Stockholm from 1979. This is not the version. No. And so I wrote the arrangement out. So we got it down. We dialed it and they like, I didn't mean to be drilling them, but they needed someone to be like, no, this is, this is the arrangement. I gave it to everyone. And we had an amazing time. I was so nervous, it was really brilliant. But the best part was poor old Sting, who I love hmm. and admire. But this was brilliant because he played Black Star with his lute. Right now, Bowie doing Black Star is this what 13 minutes on Bowie doing Black Star? We're going to be there, like uh, but 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 Sting with a lute, you know, he's asking for it, isn't he? He's going out there in a, in a sweater and playing the lute or some shit. Right? <laughs> so the first night. I, when I did the first night, I was so nervous I couldn't even speak, and I rushed left afterwards. I was thinking, and I was like, "Why did I leave?" It was like a balloon with the air out of it, you know, like flying off out of the room. I was just traumatized by the whole event. I was like, "Why am I home? I want to be seeing one else." So next, and I formed again when I saw Sting. I said, "How did it go last night?" He goes, "Oh, you know the critics." I think <laughs> well, you, you did come in with a fucking loop cruising for a bruising you know? thing's hey, amazing he has a hard time but i think he's he's quite he's quite uh he's,
0: he's he's great no i love sting um all right let's see if we have any more patreon questions so station to station is produced at a really dark time in bowie's life uh the darkest according to him and he admitted to the the drugs and years later said he like like i said before he didn't uh, he didn't even recall recording the record. What does that say about Bowie that he was still able to produce such an acclaimed album under those conditions?
3: Well, they say the same thing happened to Elton, right? Elton John, he had a whole bunch of like, records in the 80s that he couldn't and breathe It just means that he, that he was surrounded by great people because he didn't make the record on his own and he didn't press record and he wasn't playing guitar or bass or drums or mixing it. So... It's a bit incorrect to think that because he was out of it, so was everyone else. It wasn't like, if they'd all been on coke, that would have been really funny. Yeah. I think they would have been in record. Do you know what I mean? But I think there was a, clearly some people that were, had their shit together because it's not easy to record that stuff and mix it great and whatever they did. So uh, we see that, that Bo was incredibly collaborative because he led on. When you got Carlos Alomar, Alomar being a guitar player, you can you can fuck off and do cocaine. You be on the track going to be fine.
1: Yeah. So there's all
3: these people like, oh my God, Bowie wasn't even there. How did it even happen? It's like magic. Not really. It's called other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: All right. Uh, Sorry. I'm bursting, I'm bursting someone's bubble. Uh, no, no, not at all.
0: All right. We asked these questions to to all of the guests. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on, buddy. I appreciate it. Uh, favorite song on the record? Uh, Wild as the Wind. Okay. Uh, mine, I want to say Station to Station. I really do. I love the four parts. Uh least favorite song on the record.
3: Um, I'm looking at the, looking at the title. I'm looking at things. I don't know my least favorite. I mean, it's 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 got a few. It's got definitely got a few album tracks on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't. But I like album tracks. I mean, it sounds weird. It's not. I don't have a least. Nothing annoys me on it. I, mean, I get I, it. I love the record. Um, you know, I like, but but nothing, not, you know TBC one five. It's all right. A little repetitive, but it's all right. I got the idea. How many? How many TBC one five?
1: Not a lot.
0: <laughs> I actually picked. I actually picked. You're gonna hate me. I actually picked. Uh, Wild as the wind. If I had to pick one. I don't know if you should end the record on that. I'm not saying it's a bad yeah, song. It's like, what, this
3: about Iggy Pop's girlfriend. I think it was an alien. When, but I, but I, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, but it's just such a. I mean, and that's what's beautiful about music, you know? Yeah. I think that, you know, having a Nina Simone song, it's just brilliant. You know, subversive, at that time. Imagine at that time. I mean, that's like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's groundbreaking, and and at least he was. Um, not appropriating uh, the culture. He was actually just like paying homage to it yeah. by using someone as brilliant. I mean, Simone was fierce, fierce, he is a fierce, amazing, terrifying person. Have you seen the, that documentary on her? She's like, she's all power. Love her, love her. All right, what
0: song on this record would you fuck to? Uh,
3: um, well, you know... It's a thirty-six minute record, so let's hope most of it.
0: Okay, you start right from the jump. Okay, I dig that. Um, <laughs> I can do thirty-six. I could definitely. No guarantee. Yeah, no. no
3: guarantee. But you know. older we get, man, the time gets you know, less and less. Yeah, yeah. This, 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 this undressing, this getting dressed—is that? <laughs>
0: You could throw that in there, sure. I'll let you have that. Uh, and then and then the last question, do you think out of all of Bowie's records, and wait, what other albums, Adam, are on the 500 Greatest Albums list?
1: Okay, so the other Bowie albums that are on this list,
0: uh, he'll come up four more times. A Lot Insane came in at number 279. Low was ranked at 251. Hunky Dory at 108. And The Rise of Fall of Ziggy
1: Stardust and The Spider from Mars at number 35.
0: Do you, so this means this is our first David Bowie record on the list, it's the lowest ranked out of all of them. Do you think out of those other four that got mentioned, uh, this is ranked accordingly between those? I know Dizzy Stardust is your jam, so that's the lowest and also probably the most, his biggest and most important. But do you think that this one is in the right ranking in those, uh, in the Rolling Stone list?
3: Uh, fuck Rolling Stone, who knows? Thank you. (laughs) What do they, you know, what do they know?
0: 100%. 100%. <laughs> Proud sponsor of the 500 yeah, yeah. Rolling Stone. Now, this was this was great, man. Uh I, I can't thank you enough for coming on, brother. Um once again, do you have anything you want to just promote away again? Anything you want us to check out or or, or it's your time. Go ahead. I'm just, um, you know,
3: we we you know, no, I mean Spotify or whatever platform you use, um make it easy to check out whatever we've been doing and we have a new record. I think Apropos of this whole conversation, Mike Garson uh, songs I did and play, playing with him on the bonus of the Kingdom should be checked out. If anyone cares about, you know, would care to hear me stealing uh, time with Mike Garson, and it's fun for me because of all that piano stuff the for him to play on it, it. Just I made me weep when I heard when I heard what he'd done. It made me weep.
0: I love it. Well, make sure we check that out, dude. Thank you so much for coming on, brother.
3: All right. Thank you so much. All the best.
0: What I tell you, what I tell you, the one and only Gavin Rosdale. Follow him on all social media at Gavin Rosdale and go to his website, com because they are on tour right now. And I'm going, you're going, we're going. Listener, shout out, MP Brown86. Some said it couldn't be done. But he caught up on all the episodes from the beginning. M.P. Brown 86. That's the message he sent me. Some said I couldn't. It couldn't be done. It couldn't be done. All right. We just listened to David Bowie from uh, 1976. Who do we got? Declan McKenna. You're listening to the song You Better Believe. And you can find links to the website the500podcast.com And if you want your song played because that's what we're trying to do send us your song to 500 podcast at gmail.com Next week. It's police week we're doing ghosts in the machine top heavy record guys this is going to be ooh ooh yeah i don't know how uh, how much i'm digging on this one guys but you know and i love the police but <sighs> the jazz shit <laughs> morty was still here he'd be mad at me All right, uh do your homework
1: Keep it if please see for the Fleece nation on the 500 the 500
2: Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring.
1: Laundry? book club computer solitaire huh
2: ah oh, sorry we were looking for
0: chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com
2: has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com hey this is mike weeby and i'm the singer in a band called the riverboat gamblers And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas. And we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three.